welcome aboard the battleship pretension i am tyler smith i'm david Bax, and thank you for listening david yes I, I was oh i think you were thanking me for listening no i i do what i want with punctuation while i'm talking it's, like christopher walken yeah take, sure he takes out all the punctuation i've heard know. that and yeah. i have to assume that's very off-putting for the writer um <laughs> but whatever that's fine so um let so me yeah. ask you a question okay ask away by whom is this episode brought to our listeners well, I'll tell you uh, in a moment because uh, for some reason I just lost it. But you know what? I actually have this memorized. So let's see if we can give it. A, if we can do it. Oh, here we go. Um, this episode is brought to you by Mubi. A no curate, safety net. A, I know. You you fill in the. You catch me if I fall, David. Um, <laughs> it's more of an observation, David. You catch me when I fall. <laughs> True. Um, yeah, so this episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema, cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators bring to you a new title, and that means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only five ninety nine a month. Okay, that's not bad. Uh, plus, no, I wasn't you, at all uh, robotic or halting. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Now, currently available on Mubi is the Buster Keaton classic, Steamboat Bill Jr., which I seem to recall, David, I think that is your favorite of his. I always, I've always, I've long said that, now that I've seen Sherlock Jr. more times, okay. I think... I, I, I think Sherlock Jr. might be it. I think that's a lot of people's favorite. It's hard to be because it's, reason. yeah. From an experimental standpoint, I think like for film fans, I feel like Sherlock Jr. is, yeah. is it. I think I still prefer the general of all of them, but, um, but well, here's, here's what I like about Steamboat Bill Jr. Because I've, one, one thing I've said multiple times on this podcast is that I tend to think of the general more as an action movie than a comedy. Sure. Whereas Steamboat Bill, I think, has a lot of action, especially in like the later parts when he's yeah. like swinging around the uh, masts or whatever yeah. on the ship. But it's still a comedy first. I think that's that's why I liked it so much the first time I saw Steamboat Bill Jr. Was that it's mm-hmm. really funny, which is what you want from Buster Keaton. Yeah. But it has that action that you get from from the general, and it has that iconic image of like the building falling and uh, the window going over him, and right. everyone. So Buster Keaton, I think, is probably was insane. Uh-huh. I think he was an insane person uh-huh. because that front of the building was not foam core. Like that was f- heavy wood, and they measured it out just right. But if it had been even a little bit off, he would have been crushed and killed. Uh-huh. Um, but he was willing to do it, and uh, it shows. But like anybody who's curious uh, about where that idea of oh the a building falling and then someone. Uh, standing and the window goes over them that started with yeah. Steamboat Bill Jr. so you can well, check that out. I remember in, in one of his short films in, in Cops mm-hmm. he grabs a hold of a car as it speeds past and yeah. like just like his, his arm had to get pulled out of the socket. Undoubtedly yes. Uh, and then there's that story I think it's Sherlock Jr. where he broke his neck. Did I tell you about that? Is that Sherlock Jr.? I think so, because I, I believe it's he's running along a train, okay. the top of the train, and the, he's going one way, the train is going another, and then eventually the train runs out, and he just falls. <laughs> and, uh, and in one take, he fell in such a way so that the back of his neck hit the, one of the rails. And he was just like, oh my gosh, that feels terrible. Well, let's keep going. And then uh, years, and but it caused like a... a tremendous headaches for a long time and then many years later after he you know he wasn't in filmmaking anymore but he was getting an x-ray and uh, a doctor said uh, he goes hey so when did you break your neck and he goes what 
I don't know. And he goes, you know what I bet? You know what? I bet it was this time when I landed on my, on a steel rail and I was in excruciating pain for weeks afterwards. Uh, so yes, he, uh, Buster Keaton broke his neck, did not know about it and kept doing the work he did. Yeah. So again, he was insane, but anyway, and you can see some of this insanity in Steamboat Jr. Absolutely. Um, and then there is a special offer for listeners of battleship pretension. You can try movie free for a month. Just go to movie. That's M U B I dot com slash battleship, or you can click on the movie ad at battleship pretension.com to redeem now. Uh, and I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com. Uh, that's where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them every day. Uh, they're available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. Um, but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you use, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So go to battleshippretension.com and then click in the left side bar on the tweaked audio link. Do your shopping. Get your Christmas is just around the corner. Uh, and use the offer code pretension at checkout. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tyler. Yes? I wanted, uh, shit. I'm like you, I'm like you with the ad copy. Okay. And shit, just as I need it. Our friend Peter has sent us another postcard. This one's okay. not scope this is academy oh okay uh, thank you um, uh, this is from the dry dry tortugas national park that's a prison right there Oh, uh, oh, that, that entire nice. island is is a well it's a fort i guess but it was used as a prison so i'm re- reading here that uh, uh dr samuel a mudd who set the broken leg of president lincoln's assassin was imprisoned here for several years until he was pardoned in 1869 um that's not what peter wrote dr he, mudd sounds like a super villain right like an old-time <laughs> super villain like clayface yeah um but yeah peter keeps sending us uh Peter keeps I'm not instructing Peter to keep sending us postcards except I am yeah keep doing it Peter but uh, if you want to send us postcards uh, our, or our gifts PO, or checks whatever anything you want to send us yeah, yeah. Uh, food we're a big fan of foreign candies yeah David uh, really likes turkey jerky I, I can get I have I, I got a turkey jerky connect fair enough I don't need I don't need listeners I need I need people in Australia and New Zealand sending me cherry ripes that's sure. what I need um so yeah, you can find our our, our address on the website, um, our PO box, under contact us. Um, other things you can find on the website. Tyler's been doing uh, uh, sort of a daily uh, uh, brief think pieces. I've been calling them Tyler's takes. Yeah, we're not officially calling them yeah. that. I said this. I said this off mic, but the more I think about it, the more I actually like it. Um, I feel like it should be a column just called "Get Off My Lawn" <laughs> because. It's almost inherently, it's almost always negative. Like I, I read a bit of movie news and I do not care for it. Cranky old Tyler. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, of course, Aaron does the weekly Chicago report report, all the things going on in, in the rep scene in Chicago this week. Uh, we got movie reviews this week of, uh, Bobby Jean, Woodshock and battle of the sexes up. Um, 
uh, yeah, a b- bunch of a bunch of great stuff. Um, West took another trip at the Musical Notation podcast into the the, the music of Miklos Rosa. Mm-hmm. This is for his third uh, episode yeah. about about him. Um, all that's there. Most important thing though that's available at the website right sure. now. Now I talked about the tweaked audio and the movie links in the left hand sidebar but if you just move your eyes ever you so have slightly to move your head yeah just look over to the right hand sidebar you'll see links to our premium uh, premium episodes which mm-hmm. are uh, for purchase including the brand new set of uh commentary marathons we did this past weekend mm-hmm. uh these if you're not uh if you're a, re- a recent convert to the church of battleship retention oh. uh, uh, you might not have heard. We do these uh, twi- uh, roughly twice a year where we, Tyler and I will spend a day watching movies and invite our friends to sort of sit with us for 30 yeah. minutes to two hours at Sometimes, a time yeah. in some cases uh, and, and talk about the movies and, and have a good time. And we do it all day long. And the movies always have a theme. This time we did. Uh, the theme was eaten alive. We yes. watched uh, we watched Jaws, Tremors, Jurassic Park and Anaconda back to back to back and had a bunch of uh, fun, fun people come and watch it uh, with us and talk about it with us and you can buy those commentaries you can buy them individually for what three bucks a piece three bucks each that's that's a that's a sucker's game right there what you sure. do is you what you buy the whole package for uh for ten dollars that's right save yourself two dollars you get the all the entertainment uh and that money goes back into us uh you know traveling to sundance and comic-con and you know the things that we do to bring you coverage Indeed. so that's all available at battleship retention.com <laughs> okay Tyler. yes we have a guest a first, we a first time guest someone we've been meaning to have on the show yeah uh, for quite some time. First, first time, long time, by which I mean we've been meaning to have him on for a long time. This is the theme. You might have noticed we've had a lot of guests lately, and part of what's been happening is that I have made a concerted effort to actually have on the show the people that I have talked to about having on the show yes. for, for years. Yes. Um, so uh, uh, I want to welcome our, our guest. He's a film historian. He's a uh, contributor to the New Beverly blog, and his own blog is called The Projector Has Been Drinking. Uh, and of course, you know uh, know him. Uh, if, you're, if you're cool like us, you know him as the movie geek from Beat the Geeks, Comedy Central's Beat the Geeks. It's Mark Edward Hoyk. <laughs> thank you. And uh, thank you for finally having me uh, on the program. Um, I, I I don't want to uh, em- em- embarrass uh, you fellas, but I think your initial invitation for me to appear on the show came uh, when I was on MySpace. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not uncommon. That has happened before. Um, where... Uh, on my on my other show, um, there's a, a guy that I that I met at a convention like years ago, years ago, and there is a common and but I keep seeing seeing him at the same convention. We're on the same panels, and there is a joke that we just say now, which is like we keep saying it's gonna happen. The <laughs> it's gonna happen means he's gonna be on my podcast. He lives in L.A. There's no reason for this not to have yeah. happened, except it just hasn't. And I, it's starting to feel like I think this stopped being a joke. I think he's actually upset now. Um, yeah, it just happens. Well, you're talking, I guess. Mark. You're talking to two people who failed to follow up with Ed Begley Jr. <laughs> um, so yeah. uh, well, this is a problem we have. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> how have you been? Ah, uh, well, uh, <laughs> uh, I well, I've been. Uh, well, for the last few years, I've been uh, using a mantra among uh, people that I have had uh, six jobs and counting, and uh, within uh, the last month, I've lost two of them. Oh, my. So, uh, this has been a bit of a rough time, yeah. but, uh, uh, but otherwise, uh, cre- uh, 
uh, creatively speaking, it's a bit, it's uh, been fruitful. As uh, you, you mentioned in the intro, I've been writing for the uh, New Beverly's website for a little over a year now. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the time, I'm just doing um, hype pieces for some of their double features, particularly films that aren't very well known and trying to you know impart a little bit of uh, information and some some hooky uh trivia about the creators or the production to get people to think oh this is interesting you know I'll, you know what i'll take a chance you know it's eight dollars for a double feature you know I'm, i'll i'll try these movies i've never seen before but sometimes i get to do something a little more in depth uh i just uh this week uh, put up a piece about a uh, forgotten filmmaker named Horace Jackson um, when this I don't know when this episode will be online but the New Beverly is going to be doing a one night show of one of his uh, movies a film called Tough uh, colloquially known as uh, Johnny Tough uh, they're showing they're going to be pairing it with a uh, uh uh, black exploitation, a revenge film called Brotherhood of Death, but uh, Tough is rather interesting. It's uh, essentially a a Compton set uh, riff on the 400 Blows, and wasn't huh. intentionally so. Uh, yeah, but it just you know, there's if you look at it and you look at the 400 Blows, you can see oh, there's a lot of cribbing and overlap from this, even though that wasn't uh, Jackson's intention. Jackson is a uh, fascinating guy. He is basically kind of a faith-based filmmaker in the the, the manner that somebody like uh, you know Ty- Tyler Perry, but not as comedic as Tyler Perry. You know, he's kind of like you know a, you know a lot of spoonful of sugar type, mm-hmm. and he's more of a you know kind of a hard you know hard. Uh, he, I would say he's the transition between the modern day uh, Tyler Perry or I think more appropriately T.D. Jakes, sure. although he doesn't direct. He produces and comes up with the material and then someone else works from it. Or uh, uh, the I'm going to forget, screw up his name, uh, the, but the fellow who did uh, First Sunday, David Foster or, or David L. Uh, is it I, David A.R. White? No, not That's David a different person. White. Be, yes. I was going to say, like, I no. don't remember that in his filmography, but he's put out a lot of movies that are uh, yeah. lesser known and not, what, not no, good. No, well, no, uh, well, this guy's also a little more comic. You know, uh, First Sunday, I think uh, the Another Christmas, which came out last year. Okay. I'm, I think I'm screwing up that title, too. But yeah. anyhow, uh, Horace Jackson is the bridge between these modern guys who have become successful selling faith-based movies and uh, somebody like uh, Ron Ormond and Erst, uh, Estes Perkle in the 60s. That Ron Ormond was an exploitation guy, but he hooked up with Estes Perkle, who was this fire and brimstone uh, preacher, and they did this infamous film called If Footmen Tire, What Will Horses Do?, where it was the, <laughs> this apocalyptic uh, preaching vision. It's it, it's really fascinating. It, 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 it has this churning moment the 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 politics behind it are ridiculous it's all you know fear-mongering about you know the reds and about secular humanism but it just has the churning urgency of you know oliver stone in Uh jfk uh if you're a negative land fan 
it's where the infamous sample of communism is good, Christianity is stupid comes from (laughs) during one of the nightmare sequences. Uh, So Horace Jackson produced four films and directed two of them. And they're 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 kind of hard to come by. Uh, the only one that's had a DVD release is his last film, Deliver Us from Evil, which was released by Code Red as a uh, double feature with uh, uh, an unrelated uh, black film called The Fox Affair. But uh, Deliver Us from Evil is uh, very much kind of a creed occur. I mean, literally, the theme song is called. Look what we're doing to ourselves. Uh, And so on one level, you can enjoy it as camp because, you know, the uh, aside from the lead actor, Rennie Roker, most of them are non-professionals and the, the script is very earnest and on the nose. But at the same time, the passion behind it cannot you, you can't make fun of that you know this guy really was trying to do something and be an antidote to what he didn't like about black films of the 70s of trying to be you know uplifting and get a message across and that and that's something that I write about in the article and really respect about him okay <laughs> All right. By the way, no, I just uh, no. But this is what I love. This can I is say what real I, quick while we yes. pause. First okay. Sunday was directed by David E. Talbert. David that's, E. Talbert. That's the name, David E. Talbert. Uh, sorry to David Talbert and David Foster. <laughs> yeah. No apologies to David A. R. White. Why should you? If anything, uh, no, you are I've elevated. Read, I've read that book. Uh, I was just I was just given his book uh, to read. Um, uh, he was recently. I was at the International Christian Film Festival hawking my wares, and I was selling my books pretty well. And then he gave a speech, sat at the table next to mine, started selling his books, and uh, my sales went down, which is weird. I didn't think we had the same audience, but whatever. Um, here's people what bring, f- only bring so much book money to these, that's, <laughs> these sort of that's things. True. Uh, here's what I love about the monologue that just happened is that I have not heard of a good portion. Uh, like I'm a movie person as is David, but there is like this entire, not even subculture, but like there is an entire world of like full on movie, like, I don't know, uh, clergy, um, people who just instinctively know, like you threw out a lot of names and you just, and you knew who all of those people were and you could probably name any number of titles that all of those people had were responsible for. And this speaks to this idea of, this speaks to the idea of movie geek, uh, and something that I wanted to talk about, which is you know, I'm familiar, David and I are familiar with you primarily through Beat the Geeks, uh, just as we met uh, Paul Goebel. And there are so many people out there that are able to, to, they know dates, they know awards, that kind of thing. But everything that you just said is like, is actually knowledge of film itself and an understanding and a desire to engage with it. And I remember for a long time when I was younger, I felt like, well, the way to show that you know film is to just know a lot of trivia about it. It's like, no, and as I've gotten older, I realized like, no, that's probably more of a byproduct from a love of film. And and like the, like the monologue that you just, I'm sorry to keep calling it that, but I love it. Um, like you show a, a genuine love and affection and understanding of film that has then begotten a knowledge of like the trivia and the facts. And it's something that 
fascinated me. It's, it's what I thought about Paul Goebel, and I don't remember who the music geek was, but I'm sure any of you like really have a love for this thing, and it's not just like this sponge memory kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it, to me, it's all organic. That there, there should be the prime surface level of just watching a film, knowing nothing about any of the people involved or any of the history and just taking it for what it is and deriving pleasure out of it. So it should work first and foremost that way. Mm -hmm. But when you have interesting background on the production and the talent and their histories and both professional and personal and the circumstances in which it was made then it provides an extra amount of enhancement and layers of enjoyment that what I would what I would compare it to uh, is when I was doing uh, improv in my my 20s and we would have either rehearsals or you know the post-mortem after a show and we would talk about the game within the game Mm -hmm. you know that you know, that you that you can that for that for a film should work if and you know you that I've been reading it, I I've been reading I've I've only now been reading some of the uh, texts about uh, Aronofsky's mother that uh, came out this week. I do appreciate he the is. exclamation point there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'd been avoiding them because I hadn't seen it yet, and I wasn't sure if I was going to have enough money to, to see it. But I figured, okay, better do it before everything gets ruined. And there's been this debate of, well, you shouldn't have to go home and run the Google in order to determine if a movie was good. And that there's the counter of, well, if you're engaged with the movie, you're going to want to do that anyway. Right. So, yeah, it... I do like the guy who says, run the Google. Uh, I feel like that is the type of person that would say, you don't need it. Yeah, that, that it should it should be, it should, the idea of it should be clear or it should inspire further investigation. And mm-hmm. I understand the idea of being clear because you know, people, you know, people, Want you know a you know, in a, a gratification and it costs a lot of money to go to a movie now. So if you're rolling the dice on it, it's understandable if you feel like you did not get your money's worth out of it. Even though on my core, I feel like you know you pay you buys your ticket and you takes your chances. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah uh, so. I, I am sympathetic to both schools, but I'm always going to be the guy who, even if I don't like a movie, and I've seen plenty of stuff I don't like, I'm still kind of curious about you know its circumstances and well, what went wrong. And, yeah, everything can be instructive. Like even yeah. if the only stuff that I there are movies I love and movies I hate, but then there are movies that I'm completely that are just bland and who cares, and those are the ones. Like when I have to write a review, if it's a movie I hate, no problem. I can write that review and it'll probably be a thousand to twelve hundred words. If it's a movie I love, it's harder, but I'll do it. It's the movies that I don't care about at all. I'm like, I gotta squeeze eight hundred words out of this. Are you kidding me? Um, and I feel like those are the ones. Like, I guess I could look up 
more and more information about it, but I really just don't care. Yeah, that you know, people people inevitably ask me what what's the worst movie you've ever seen? Because it's a good question. Uh, and you know, the, everybody wants you know the either they want the colorful answer mm-hmm. or you know they want you know the the funny rant. And hands down, for me, the single worst movie I've ever seen is the. 90s adaptation of Lost in Space because it is just absolutely bereft of any enthusiasm that it it is so blatantly obvious every single person is there you know Hertz there for the alimony Mimi is there (laughs) for the paycheck Uh, Oldman is there to prove that he can work after getting sober Uh, you know the the kids are there because their agents prodded them Malablanc is transitioning into film or at least trying to that they had this property everybody else is redeveloping properties that uh, every that nobody wants to be there, that they're all just <laughs> going through the motions and there is there. It's everything that's in there has been taken from some other source. Plus since it's the nineties, Oh, let's make everybody bitter. You know, <laughs> yes. Oh, it, 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 we can't have the uh, golly gee Willikers space family Robinson of the 60s. We have to have the dysfunctional family Robinson who has to learn to work together. Uh, and and the, I was being paid to project this movie at a critic screening and I wanted to leave. <laughs> it was and you know it was on a platter I could have but I had the mo- I had to monitor this thing like I was being paid to be there it's just like n- no keep the money I I, I I need to get out of here. That's wow. that's so interesting. Um it's something that I have you know as I've gotten older I I feel like, yeah, along the same lines as a, a mediocre movie is, is actually worse than a bad movie. But I will say that I think the movies that bother me the most are the ones that just feel like a calculation. Like, there, there are ambitious failures. And yes, they might bother me, uh, especially if they have an attitude to them that I don't like, in which they think they're better than the audience or something like that. But, like, studio calculation, which is definitely what you've just described, is something where it's like, Okay, that is a specific type that also has an attitude and it's an attitude of cynicism of like, you've heard of it, you're going to see it. We all know it. So, you know, what are you bothering me for? Um, And I feel like those are the ones that just like I have no I won't give the hmm. that sounds mean of me. I'm less inclined to give them a chance. Yeah, uh, ambitious failure. If it's if someone is earnest, even if I think it's terrible, I'll give them more of a chance. Yeah, that that even with some uh, IP cash ins, they can be moderately entertaining in terms of you know how they get it wrong or what they change around. It, that in the case of Loss in Space, it's just that. The, the changes were not improving and it wasn't even fu- it wasn't even snark funny it's just like no this is just unpleasant yeah. you know, that i remember i've only seen one transformers movie and it was uh i think dark of the moon and 
there's you know the, the the skyscrapers collapsing and Shia LaBeouf is sliding down it, you know, shooting a hole in a window to save himself. And I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, this should be awesome. Why is this not awesome? Yeah. That if they had a shot like similar to that in a Fast and Furious movie, I'd be all over it. But just something about the way it's presented there, it it's it's a it's. All of the elements are things that appeal to me, but it's just done badly. Maybe it's like, you know, like, like I hated peas when I was a kid, but then finally (laughs) somebody in my thirties prepared peas the right way. I just like, Oh, these are good. If some, if I had been presented peas this way, I would have enjoyed them. I have not seen any Fast and Furious movies, but I do know, like, film people that I trust do talk about how much they kind of respect that series for being so openly and unapologetically ridiculous. Um, And then I I do know uh, one or two people that actually are kind of defenders of the Transformers series, but most people actually talk about how boring they are, which is strange given how action-packed they theoretically are so like what do you think having having only seen one transformers which is the first one Mm -hmm. and then opting not to see any after that and then having seen no fast and furious but hearing a lot of good buzz what do you think the difference is between these two things both of them ridiculous both of them action-packed like what do you think is the difference well i'd say there's a few differences um that you know, Transformers has always originated from an existing IP, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm going to keep using that term a lot, mm-hmm. and which is going to be confusing because if we get into film uh, preservation, which is another one of my favorite things, uh, the initials IP come into play there too, but yeah. they're for a different purpose. So you know, there's intellectual property and interpositive. So oh, wow, it's hell like. Uh, I hope I don't, that that doesn't throw people. I think context context clues will make it clear. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that Transformers has always felt like a naked attempt to cash in on a familiar IP, and so there's been very little attempt at creating any kind of interesting characters because in, they. They sense that ultimately people just want to go to see the robots who they know by name because they watched the cartoon or they had the toys and see and see the action sequences. So there's there's generally only a perfunctory amount of detail given to building the human characters, whereas in the Fast and Furious series uh, from the very beginning. The characters have always been generally appealing. That even though they're archetyp- archetypic, they're they're still they're still pleasant and engaging, and so you get caught up in them. So that even if the action they're engaged with is over the top and unbelievable, you're sympathetic to them in that situation, mm. and. When they're not engaged in those preposterous action scenes, when they're just commingling among themselves, if they're just you know sitting on their porch having Coronas, that's still entertaining too. Mm-hmm. That, that that you would, 
And I think also, um, as a legit great thing about the Fast and Furious franchise is that it is very multicultural, that it is particularly representative of uh, black characters and Hispanic characters and giving them real agency. And and uh, whereas Transformers, they well, that's, that's have never multiracial been... characters, but they just sort of feel like it's filling a quota. And Michael Bay tends to traffic in stereotypes in a lot of his movies when it comes to comedic characters in like the rock. There's the, the black woman who was on the Alcatraz uh, tour, yeah. who's very outspoken. And that's always like, did she ever well, say, Oh hell well, no. <laughs> Probably okay. something like that. Well, but some of that, you also have, you might have to attribute to the screenwriters as, you know, as much as the directors, you know, some mm-hmm. of that might be in the script. And I don't know how much involvement Bay has with the writing of any of the Transformers movies. I know that they have like a regular team that t- tends to do them. It doesn't necessarily mean he needs to steer right into it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like this friend, this friend of mine who defends the Transformers movies, even he says like, yeah, that second one's pretty rough. Cause there's like these two robot characters that are like very much black stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Like even having like, those robots don't have teeth. And yet somehow these robots have like gold teeth. Uh, and just the way they talk to each other, like everybody well, pretty much agrees that that is, uh, that he's capitalizing on a certain stereotype. And that is a fairly recent film, but yeah, still, yeah. still steering into it. So, um, well, let me, I'll use this pause in the conversation to ask you a couple questions. First, you never said when the new Beverly is showing tough. <laughs> okay. Well, I didn't know. When, oh, it was, uh, oh, it was last week. Broadcast did. was going to air uh, Monday so. morning. We'll go Monday. Morning. Okay. Monday morning. Then it will be showing, uh, this coming Thursday. Okay. Um, and then second, now I'm going to ask you the question I always ask first time guests. Tell us where you're from, where you grew up. Ah, I'm originally from Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, uh, I got I got obsessed with films around the fourth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, what, uh, the The level of my obsession was already high enough that for a letter writing assignment, I sent a uh, story idea to Paramount, and <laughs> I still have the rejection form letter they sent me back. Uh, and I even had a. I, I photocopied it, and about a decade and a half ago, I went to an event where Robert Evans was, and I had him autograph it for oh, me. Oh, awesome! <laughs> uh, so. Now, is this? Uh, have you copyrighted copyrighted this idea? Oh well, it was <laughs> it was a very vague idea. It was, it was I had seen it. You know what? It came from a dream. I dreamt that I had seen the commercial. <laughs> oh yeah! And so it just lingered with me. It was the, it was a very high concept idea. Uh, Kiss in Vegas. <laughs> I don't know whether this was before or after Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park. But yeah, it was, just, it was just. I thought it was a simple, brilliant idea. And, yeah, uh, and but I remember I saw the ad clear as day, and Paramount's logo was in it. So. It was like, <laughs> So what do they do in Vegas? Just walk around? Uh, well, it's actually kind of a... It's, yeah, it, it, it's like a Whit Stillman. I think I had... Maybe I'd been watching the monkeys at that point. Uh-huh, so sure. yes, you know, kind of the typical you know, rock star romp. You know. Right. But again, I just saw the commercial. I didn't see the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> you just woke up and said, man, I wish that movie existed. Hang yeah. on, what can I do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
what, <laughs> Pretty much. You know, I need to be the change I want to see in the world. <laughs> well, I mean, but yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Cincinnati, I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, never been. Yeah, so, uh, um, born and raised in Cincinnati. I went to Ohio state for college and, uh, worked in Columbus at a, um, art theater there for about eight years and then moved to LA in 1999. All right. And uh, do you like it here yet? <laughs> oh, this this is where I belong. Yeah. Uh, I, I am totally in my element here. Uh, I that you know, I made a, a few trips out before I moved here full time. And, you know, I I adore I adore everything about the, uh, about this city. You know, I yeah. I. Uh, that every a lot of the things that people in the Midwest try to drag it with, I say no. I kind of dig it. Um, yeah, I, I I had never been here before. I moved here. Wow. I moved here, and after of you know uh, more than half the country of gas and hotels, I showed up in uh, Los Angeles with thirty five dollars and a friend's couch to sleep on. And a dream. And here we are 12 years later. I guess it worked out. <laughs> yeah. um, so um, uh, I forgot what I was going to ask you. Something else about, about, about Los Angeles. Um, I've seen you at the New Art uh, a number uh, yes. of times. I was the assistant manager for 14 years at the New Art Theater. And then in uh, June of 2013, I was asked to leave. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm sorry to hear that. All right, so, I had it coming. So, <laughs> okay, so another place I have to boycott. Thanks. No. I'm joking, of course. I don't boycott any place. Um, so, Is that uh, true? Uh, I don't know. I don't think it occurs to me to boycott a place. I don't go to. I, I don't go to Chick Fil A. Okay. I also don't go to Hobby Lobby, but I wasn't going to. Hobby yeah, I don't think we need to worry about that. Oh, there are plenty of places I'm boycotting accidentally. Um, well, but, there's uh, places I'm boycotting because I can't afford them. Sure, yeah, sure. sure, yeah, yeah. I'm 12 years strong, never been to Spago, won't go. <laughs> yeah, Hobby Lobby too expensive. I'm more of a Michaels person. That's that's where I, I do I like Michaels, by the way. <laughs> uh, have you ever been to Moscatel's? Uh, no, where is that? Uh, Moscatel's is like Michaels. Uh, wholesale place downtown oh okay you know, it, you know it's uh you know it's on a street where i think they still do uh you know street fairs plus it's you know kind of near skid row so you might be you know when you go into their parking area you might have to wave people out of the way but they have some pretty great uh, craft stuff there that is it everything about this is so Los Angeles specific, which normally like we talk about like some filming locations Mm -hmm. and certain theaters and that kind of thing. This is so LA and so it it fascinates me when we talk about like certain freeways or something like that, which our listeners like, I can't relate to this at all. And talking about in, in the best way, because I love it uh, is the idea of, all right, now the person knows which theaters to go to, which freeways to avoid and drive on. And just in case, they know where to get wholesale arts and crafts. But just a heads up, it's near Skid Row. Look, it, it, if I was from New York, I'd be giving you tips on the cool bodegas. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Uh, I'm from Cincinnati. I'll give you some. I'll give you some dining tips. Uh, ditto for Columbus. But you know, when if that comes up, yeah, you know, the, 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 I'm I'm I don't I'm not prejudicial towards Los Angeles. Okay. So uh, and I want to ask you, besides Skyline Chili, where should where should people go in Cincinnati? Okay. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, Grater's ice cream. Okay. Oh my God. Um, if you have if where you live has Kroger's as one of your primary grocers, they may still be selling select flavors of graters. Okay. But it, this is the kind of ice cream where you know Super Bowl bets are made from it. Uh, they make they make it in small batches. The the, the chocolate chip flavors they do. Uh, they coat uh, their bowl with the chocolate, harden it, and then just hammer it. Yeah, and so that it breaks apart, oh. and then they pour the cream in, so you mm. get chunks. That's awesome of chocolate in the ice cream. Uh, the black raspberry <laughs> is the the stuff of dreams. Um, so uh, Grater's ice cream. I'm rather fond of uh, La Rosa's pizza. It's a it's a region. It's a Cincinnati chain. Uh, you know, not you know, not you know, it's not it's simple, unpretentious pizza. You know, it's not like you know, Chicago deep dish or your or greasy New York oily stuff that you fold as a sandwich. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's it, it it. I always look forward to getting it when when I go back to Cincinnati. How often do you go back? Oh well, uh, current economic uh, situations have uh, forcluded it. But uh, the last time I was there was in uh, January of uh, 2014 for uh, my dad's uh, birthday. Oh. Um you still got places to see movies there? You say, uh, are there art, there, art houses there? There are houses? art houses in Cincinnati. There's n- almost no repertory, uh, though, is the problem. That you know, here in LA, we are spoiled by repertory. We have the New Beverly, we have the two Cinematheques, we have LACMA, uh, we've had Cinefamily. Um, <laughs> UCLA Film and Television Archive. Yeah, yeah, there's all sorts of places. In Cincinnati and, by default, Columbus, there's really no place. There might be the occasional revival screening or mm-hmm. maybe you know a Fathom Events okay. uh, event yeah, sure. at a multiplex, but there is no place that is regularly doing uh, revi- you know, revivals of old films. And even when it's happening, there's... It, that uh, Columbus has the Wexner Center, and so there are some revivals there, but they're always kind of under a uh, artistic bent. You know that it's like UCLA, and you know that UCLA is you know doing pro, you know doing great programming, but you know, like if they're if they're going to show a piece of you know '70s exploitation, it has to be within an artistic conceit. They're not just going to show it to show it okay, like like the New Beverly is. You know, they yeah. they you know they they need a unifying hook, and so that's kind of what uh, Wexner is going to be like in Columbus. You know, where you know they're 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 only going to show Spider Baby if they can have you know if they can you know push it as a cultural thing. Uh-huh. Um, I did. I did want to talk about uh, repertory a little bit. Um, I'm. I sadly I don't get the opportunity to go to that many screenings, and but you talk about how like Los Angeles does spoil us which i which i would say i agree with because you know when you look at stuff like a fathom event or you look at certain like you know outdoor screening series or something like that which is a uh, more mainstream uh repertory um <clears throat> i find uh this is going to be me being uh crotchety again sorry everybody <laughs> just a heads up on that um 
that it would seem that as far as the public goes, there were maybe like 30 movies made before 1990. Um, (laughs) If that, and I can't even, do you know what I mean? I'll go you one better. Okay. When, uh, when I was still writing off of my beat, the geek success. Sure. Uh, there was this uh, really great uh, professor at Ohio University who asked me to come and lecture some of his classes. And so I would went, I would begin each lecture by asking the class to take out a piece of paper and to write down 10 movies they had seen that were A, made before 1972, and B, were not, Gone with the Wind... <laughs> Wizard, Wizard of Oz, of Oz uh, Citizen Kane, Casablanca, or Casablanca. Yeah, various Disney movies. I assume would also <laughs> be excluded. Well, I, I stuck to those four. Okay. Okay. Uh, that 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 because I want to get across that for many people, there was like only four movies made before The Godfather. Yeah, <laughs> that, you know that's where that's where classic cinema starts for them. I assumed you picked seventy two because of The Godfather. Yes. Yeah. 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 That, 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 but. Also because, you know, just talking to a lot of people, that is, that is where they think old movies begin. Mm. You know, that for... I I TA'd for a a film history class a couple quarters this last year. And so, you know, it's all 18, 19 year olds and that sort of thing. And it is, and, you know, most of them were very, very open to the stuff that we were watching and, and, you know... In many cases, they're the movies that one would expect, but there's the occasional, like, we watched Wagon Master, like, that was kind of what he wanted, uh, because I guess the the instructor assumed, like, if they're interested in John Ford, they'll see the obvious ones. Wagon Master, it's a lesser-known film, but a really wonderful film, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, it was very interesting um, to get people's to get younger people's perspective, you know, people that I'm almost twice their age at this point, um, to get their perspective on what counts as old. Um, I would say as, uh, as a 35 year old, I think like old, I'd say anything before 55, maybe, maybe even 1960, just like, maybe like, let's say this before Kennedy, I, 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 and I'm not even happy about that, but that's what I'll say. <laughs> that's what you think of as an old, an old movie. And even then I have a heart because there are some movies made in the fifties and even the forties with a very modern sensibility. So I even have a hard time with that. Well, I, I, I think modern cinema starts with the robe, the first okay, <laughs> widescreen sure, movie, absolutely. everything, everything that's in uh one, three, well, three, one, three, seven is old. I went into in, in my lectures and, and it's, it can kind of spiral, so I'll, I'll try to be concise, is that we have a dichotomy in that the, the, the subsequent generations are way more interested in film than they used to be, you know, because around the 60s, you know, colleges decided, oh, this is a viable subject you know, that mm-hmm. you can major in, get a degree in, get, you know, get a job in. So there's that it's never been cooler to be into film. And in terms of presentation of film, you know, from Blu-rays, from uh, HDTVs, fr- from uh, cable 
channels that you're getting the best presentation possible, you know, uncut, you know, cleaned up. However, uh, number one, because of the explosion of, of uh, cable and the, the choice of cha uh, choice of channels it allows people to narrow cast to their selective tastes uh, and that even even in the early days of cable you know you had a certain number of channels you know you had pay channels and you had free channels and a lot of them showed movies that that I'm not. I'm not talking. I'm not coming from like you know, in the good old days type of thing. Because mm -hmm. in the good old days, you know, the movies were cut up with commercials, pan scanned. Yeah. And, you know, you know, you couldn't even say ass in them. They would get bleeped out. Um, and really, so you could it, it say not, the n word. Like I remember. Yeah. I remember watching it, Blazing Saddles on TV. Oh yeah. They <laughs> left that in, but they bleep out the farts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. The, the 70s were hardly an optimum time to watch films, you know, on television, but it was free. Or if you had cable, you weren't paying that much mm -hmm. for it. And consequently, everybody had a common canon. You know, right. that, so you were all you all had the, the same channels. So you, you went to school. Everybody must have seen something over the weekend, you know, that if if one of the TV stations aired Little Shop of Horrors, you were running and going, feed me, I'm hungry. Um, or or during the summer, there would be certain shows that only got run during the summer because they didn't have enough episodes for syndication. But like for the three months of summer, they'd run all of Gidget, they'd run all of uh, the monkeys, they'd run uh, Police Woman, you know that. And so during the summer, oh, okay, this is when we get those short run shows mm -hmm. it, 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 or Bosom Buddies. They'd run during the summer because it only ran two and a half seasons, and so everybody had a common canon, and it was easy to get to. Now. It's bet movie presentation is better than ever, but it is all behind a paywall. You know, you, you you've got to pay for, you've got to buy DVDs, you've got to buy uh, streaming. Mm -hmm. You've uh, that that maybe you can go to YouTube and get it for free, but you've got to have internet. <laughs> you, you know, there, we don't take into account how many people just don't have internet in their house. My mom doesn't have internet. You know, it's probably better that way. But, <laughs> but that everything everything is behind a paywall, so you have to actively seek out what it is you're going to see. It's not you're not going to stumble across it. That maybe if you have cable and you'll flip around and you might stumble on something, but more often than not, you're looking for something familiar rather than for something different. You know that you, and and what this means is we don't uh, now everybody has kind of created their own you know, playlist of stuff and they generally don't wander out of it. Now some of that is taste and you need to cultivate that, but some of that is also access and some of that is also economics. Yeah, that. And and this is symptomatic of not just of film but of media in general. That the fact that ma you know, magazines and newspapers are the the Village Voice 
has just ceased publication. Mm-hmm. It's all online now. And that, or that uh, with the digital revolution, we eliminated over-the-air broadcast. Mm-hmm. You know, that if you, that it used to be, if you, you, know, you could be broke and homeless, but if you could find an old black and white TV and a newspaper and an outlet to plug it into, you were, you were kept, you could stay literate. You could keep up with everybody. Now y- you have to be, you have to make the technological leap, and not everybody can do that. You know, it's interesting um, that you bring that up because so the neighborhood that I live in is not necessarily a, a well-to-do neighborhood. There are some rough spots uh, economically, and something and a way that that has manifested itself in regards to what you're talking about is that while everywhere else in the world video stores are closing about three years ago in my neighborhood one opened like an independent video store opened yes of course it had porn that's what keep them that's what keeps them going sure but at the same time and it's been going strong it's still here and I go in and, and, you know, families are picking out movies and Blu-rays and that sort of thing. And I just had this thought. It's like, how is this even possible? And that's when I realized, like, well, I don't live necessarily in the best neighborhood. And it's probably people don't have Netflix. You know, they, they might they probably have Internet, but they probably and maybe they don't they don't care that much about film to have access to all the films, but they will go on a Friday night out with the kids to go and rent something. Or the bandwidth service in their neighborhood is bad. Sure. The cell service in my neighborhood is terrible. Mm-hmm. I still have a landline in my in my home because my cell just flat out won't work in my apartment. Yeah. Um, so your your internet service might be bad or Maybe, okay, you invested in a DVD player, but you don't have the money to you know, buy satellite television or, or to, or, or, you know, uh, you know, get the, you know, the five gigs for, for internet streaming and you can, and, but you can afford the five bucks to go to a video store and rent a DVD or if, you're not lucky enough to still have a video store. You go to the library and yeah. rent them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know, again, going to the thing about how you have to know what you're looking for and seek it out. Uh, companies like Netflix aren't helping you. Netflix is. I I have a big burr in my saddle about Netflix because Netflix is like a spoiled child who keeps changing what they want. That Netflix <laughs> came on the scene when Blockbuster was dominating and Blockbuster were no angels either. Mm-hmm. But Netflix said, okay, we're going to undercut Blockbuster. We want to dominate the DVD rental business. So they they come up with ridiculous terms that you know that they're irresistible and and so they put Blockbuster out of business. And so now they've domi- they're dominating DVD rental. We don't want to do DVD rental anymore. We want to put it all online and stream it. And so they they still rent DVDs, but they actively discourage it. They <laughs> don't replace obscure titles when the discs get scratched and can't be rented anymore. 
And but then they said, okay, we're going to get into the streaming. And so now they're licensing all of these movies. And sometimes it's kind of cool because there are movies with complicated music rights that aren't on DVD. But because streaming falls under broadcast rules, they can they can stream them with the original music intact. And and it's getting kind of cool. And then Netflix says, and, uh, you know, but now this means, oh, we have to start paying the studios to, to get this st- stuff. And it's like, oh, well, we want to create our own stuff. Mm-hmm. And so now all of the, you know, so now they're suppressing or not suppressing, but they're actively downplaying, you know, studio library catalog right. for their own in-house productions. Plus, they're giving preferential treatment to certain in-house productions. Like uh, Angelina Jolie's new movie went on Netflix last week. Does anybody know about it? Are they promoting it? Are they talking about it? No, but you're going to, you're, you're sure as shooting going to be hearing about, you know, I don't know uh, the next season of arrested development. When that happens Uh is that, you know, there and, when and once the the newness of a Netflix film is gone, they're gonna bury it deep in their algorithm with all the other studio stuff that they're carrying, but don't you know give two dings about. So that all they wanted, so they they're they're a content provider focused on their own new stuff with certain preferences and. You know that they're they're not, they're 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 a channel. They're they're like HBO sure, now. Yeah. They're they're not what they started out as, and this is leaving a lot of people in the cold. And there's so uh, there's a paper that I actually wrote um, this past quarter uh, in which. You know, when you write a paper, it's all about trying to get people's attention. Mm-hmm. And so um, so I was I was writing all about vulgarization, by which I meant like, in some cases, actual vulgarity, but also the idea of making something remarkably common. And so I was just talking about, you know, criticism in general. But I also landed at Netflix and the impact that it has on the way people watch movies and the way things are marketed and all that sort of thing. And Netflix is interesting because it does seem to, in many ways... It seems to want uh, an air of prestige, you know, and so like it will go to Sundance and it will it will see like what was kind of popular and what got some critical buzz. And it's like, okay, we'll acquire that for two million dollars. And this filmmaker's thrilled because, hey, two million dollars and my film's available on Netflix. Well, yes and no. It will be available for about a week when they want to say like when the, there's still Sundance buzz going on and they're like, yeah, we got this and now you can watch it. All right. Moving on to the thing that uh, is a lot easier to market. Like essentially they're not even marketing the film. They're marketing the fact that it did well at Sundance and then they can move, then they'll move on to something that they actually can market, which is likely something that they actually made. And it really winds up being in many cases bad for the filmmakers, it sounds great to them because, like, oh my gosh, now everyone can see my stuff. It's like, yeah, but they're not going to find it. They can, they can see it if they look, go looking for it. But Netflix, after about maybe a week, if that, is not going to assist anybody in finding good stuff. Yes, uh, 
that Netflix deserves commendation for funding projects that the studios didn't want to do, that they're getting behind uh, filmmakers of color, they're getting behind people like you know, Ava DuVernay and Dee Rees, they're getting behind something, uh, you know, a, a holy grail project like The Other Side of the Wind when nobody, you know, everybody yeah. was waiting for, okay, we'll see it when it's finished. You know, you raise <laughs> your own money. They yes. finally came, coughed up the bread to do it. That is to be praised. But there, the the mantra that people that every film fan, you know, every appreciator of culture should be thinking of is archiving without access is pointless. Hmm. You know that hmm. you can have the biggest you know archive of great art anywhere, but if you can't see it and can't access it, it's not helping anybody. It's just sitting on a shelf. So what? Uh, let's speak to the the young listeners in our, in our audience. What what should they be doing to stumble upon or to find great movies? I do know of a certain streaming service yeah. that is very, that is curated that I think is probably pretty good, and I think it's kind of what we're talking about here. It's called Mubi. You can I, get a, a I, month I, for free. I want I want to say something about Mubi, okay. if I may. Okay. Uh, last year. Um, Something positive, I hope. Yes. Oh, thank God. Yes. <laughs> uh, last year, um, uh, Edgar Wright posted his 1,000 favorite films yeah. uh, on movie, and it got a lot of attention and got tweeted around. But it also got a lot of criticism because you know it was you know it was heavy on you know the kinds of films that a fellow like Edgar likes, and he reached out to me. And because he, uh, we've known each other through uh, the new Bev and my reputation with you know other filmmakers, and he said, "Would you do a list of your own?" And I said, "I would love to." And I posted a list at movie uh, the canon for a fresh film conversation. It was four hundred um, lesser known films. I mean, even and I I did called this. As best I could. I mean, even by the standards of what most people consider to be, you know, buried, you know, lesser films that I figured, okay, I am pretty sure the majority of people who read this, even the hardcore film people may not know some of this stuff. And it got a wonderful reception and it got tweeted around a lot. And I really appreciated, you know, movie giving me that opportunity. All right. Sounds, Sounds like, like a pretty movie. good streaming yeah. service to me. Movie's the way to go. Then. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that is the answer to your question, David. Um, I want to. It, it I, is interesting. Oh, I'm sorry. Never mind. Sorry. I, there's just so many topics. We've been going over an hour, and there's still so many topics I want to I want to uh-huh. talk about. But you mentioned you mentioned archiving. We kind of danced around this. You mentioned inner positives. You mentioned a lot of a lot of these things. Um, you're a uh, projectionist. Um, how do you feel? Do you are you uh, not in terms of archiving restoration? In terms of presentation, in terms of projecting, are you a celluloid purist, or how do you feel about people who are? I I understand the mindset of a celluloid purist. Um, I would not call myself a purist, but. I am definitely more inclined to watch something on film than it is than I am to watch it digitally. 
And the reason being is that every 35 print is a unique object, the same mm. way that every uh, vinyl copy of a record is a unique object. That ideally you want to see it, you know, see a movie or listen to an album, you know, clean and pristine. You don't want to hear clicks or pops or any impurities in it. But if those happen, I don't mind those quite so much because they are of an experience and it's it kind of adds to it in the same way that no two performances of uh, John Cage's uh, four minutes, 33 seconds are the same Mm -hmm. that. And it's also a peculiar irony that digital technology has become so good that people at home watching on a on a good HD television can see a picture that is theatrical quality that you know, because in in some cases blu-ray discs are what are sent to theaters for mm-hmm. smaller you know studio tiny studio releases uh, where you know they were I mean not tiny releases by big studios I mean tiny distributors sure. you know putting out movies and so it's a conundrum that you know, you can have this theatrical quality image in your own home and bizarrely it cheapens the experience because now why leave home mm-hmm. to see it whereas you know unless you've got your own 16 millimeter rig at home and I know a few people who do sure. you, you can't have a film experience at home that when when I see that when I see a film even when it's faded you know, I'm seeing a unique object. I'm seeing a physical object that you have to put light through a piece of film to get that image on screen. And thus, it has the illusion of heft, whereas digital is very clean and it does and it does wonders with certain presentations. And I am not anti digital by any stretch, um, but it is also still kind of hollow. You know, it's it's just a it's just a bunch of dots, you know, projected with light rather than through light, and it. Uh-huh. So, so uh, it it ser- it serves a definite purpose that I that the two should be working together and not at cross purposes. Digital can do things film can't do. Film can deliver things that digital cannot. Especially in terms of, as I, I said, I said before, I wasn't including archiving. When we're talking about archiving, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we don't, we oh, don't, yeah. we don't know how how DCPs or these, uh, you know, the LTOs or whatever are going to age. We oh. know that a thirty-five millimeter reel kept in the right condition will keep for a hundred years. We yes. know that now. We don't know what's going to happen in a hundred years to these ones and zeros, and that's it's very mm-hmm. scary to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that's something that, that definitely frightens me. The idea that there are people making movies, big movies now that you've heard of who think that their movie is archived, you know, they think it's safe, but it's, it's not, we don't know. Uh, The, the, the first wave of digital films that came out in the knots, the only reason any of those survive is that most of them got blown up to 35 Uh millimeter. 
because the technology is already outdated and it's not backwards compatible. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the technology used to shoot something like Blair Witch Project or Tadpole Dance is, in the dark. is yeah. like caveman level now. Yeah. And you know, maybe if you've if you're a techie, you've salvaged enough stuff that you can figure out how to go back and retrieve it. But it's going to get harder and harder because digital only goes one way, and you and so you have to constantly back it up, and that costs money. Yeah, you know that the theaters that went into the you know the digital conversion, you know they're going to have to upgrade those those projectors they're going to have to upgrade those file systems that they're not going to be able to just coast on them for for years like you did with 35 yeah hmm. um and then uh all right the other topic i want to because you you you, you told tyler off, off mike you're you're interested in award season and this kind of yeah. uh this is this is something that interests me and tyler very much uh we're on the cusp of it i can feel it mm-hmm. it's in the air yes. award season is almost upon us oh yeah it's uh, nipping at your nose David. yeah yeah what are your feelings this year going into the 2017 award season uh well i i i look yeah i mean i i'm not particularly a sports person but i'm not a sports denigrator either but uh-huh. you know, but award season is my football season yeah you know, that you know, around around October when uh, the free screenings start popping up and all of my friends who are in the unions you know start getting me into to screenings of stuff before uh-huh. uh, before or or while it's in release and I don't have to pay for it <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, and I get to go to all of these cool you know screening rooms that are generally not open to the public and and that and then uh, the the anti- the anticipation and the the lists i i'm i'm giddy i'm like a yeah. kid at christmas <laughs> yeah i feel like there's a certain like there's a certain mindset among film people who like if a movie comes out in March and someone's like, Oh, this could be an Oscar contender. There's certain people who are like, Oh, don't talk about that yet. But I'm like, no, bring it on. Like I, I want, I, I want this kind of attention. I want people to be talking about movies in terms of artistic merit. Because yeah, ideally we should be talking about artistic merit all year long. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that maybe you, maybe you don't want to talk about it within terms of, a specific horse race like the right. Oscars, but if you see something great in March, talk it up. Keep uh-huh. it, and you know, and and that look. I think it's amazing and wonderful that we had Get Out early in the year, yeah. and people are still talking about that. And I think you know, unfortunately, the way you know the the social zeitgeist is going, we're going to keep talking about it for some time. Yeah, but, I, you know, that that. That you know, don't just talk about quality you know, when you think you're supposed to in order to influence whatever friends you have at Laugh Gut. You know, talk about it any time. Um, speaking of Get Out, well, you, you were talking about the you know awards season, the screenings, and all that sort of stuff. You know, every uh, all the studios have websites that are like for your consideration websites where you can find the information about this kind of stuff. And Universal currently has one movie on its for your consideration awards 2017 website. And that's get out. Uh, I think that's very exciting. Uh, original screenplay. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to win, but I feel like yeah, that's the I, kind of thing. Like, I mean, it's it, like it made some money. There's a, a, a social quality to it and it's very popular, but when it comes right down to it, it is a horror movie and we don't like those. But we do need to reward it somehow. Oh, we so like Silence like of the Lambs. 
That's true. Starring Anthony Hopkins and previous Oscar winner Jodie Foster. Like, well, I, like, I, like I've always said, Bradley Whitford is our generation's Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> I could see it. Well, I've never said that I before. Think, well, it, there, I believe there's more to it than that because it's also, I think, uh, it, it, I think it's a political maneuver. It's a way of demonstrating faith in an artist and saying, Hey, you know, look at all this money we're spending to promote you. You Uh should stay within the fold. We believe in you. Mm. And, but also I, I think it is canny because you know, it, if, if the original screenplay, uh, competition got droopy, it could sneak, it could sneak in there. It's, and it would be a way to, that a lot a lot of for your consideration ads are all just politics it's all just okay we have to please the agency we have to please the talent so we have to you know take out these full page ads that we know have no chance of yielding any results in order to look like we're behind, we're behind them but so i think something like that can also be a positive it's also about it's not just for the agents and the talent it's um studios having pissing contests with one another you know when you drive down the sunset strip and there's huge billboards for every new show it's not because they're trying to convince the people on the sunset strip to watch the final season of mindy project it's so hulu can say look 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 what we have look at the size of my billboard (laughs) yeah exactly yeah uh yeah it's not the size of the billboard (laughs) it's the artwork no fair (laughs) enough um well this has been a blast and we have to have you back to get to drill down into more specific topics that are that are of interest to you because i know you you have a, a ton of them. We could have talked about uh, Christian film. Apparently, we could have talked. Well, about, I mean, about, I'm, not uh, the, I'm not the biggest expert on Christian film. It's just that that was uh, Horace Jackson's forte. Uh, but uh, if I can throw a few plugs, oh, absolutely. Okay. Well, first off, um, my uh, you can read my stuff at uh, thenewbev.com at their blog. I periodically you know write. You know, short and long form material there. My own blog is projector has been drinking.blogspot.com. It's been fairly dormant for about a year or so, but every so often I'll post some passion uh, essay there. Plus, I have, you know, a good five years worth of essays I'm very proud of that I would want people to read. I do. Uh, I've also written for uh, Night Flight's website, so if you uh, put my name in the search terms, you'll see some of the articles I've written about things like, ladies and gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains and mm-hmm. David Bowie. Um, I've done DVD commentaries. I have two that came out er, uh, this past summer for uh, Kingdom of the Spiders from uh, Code Red DVD uh, on Blu-ray. I did a commentary with uh, co-star Tiffany Bowling and producer Ego Cantor. And I did a commentary track for Malibu High on the Vinegar Syndrome label uh, with its uh, producer, uh, Lawrence Folds. And... Oh... So there, there's uh, the so those are the immediate ways that uh, people can yeah. seek my stuff out. And You're on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at uh, 
the underscore H O Y K of the Hoik. Yeah. Yeah. I put the <laughs> phonetic, phonetic spelling yeah. there. <laughs> so, uh, and I'm regularly tweeting and uh, retweeting other you know people and you know, amplifying their voices because sometimes I have something to say, but sometimes I think Twitter is really useful to amplify people who don't often get heard. So, oh, yeah. so sometimes you know if if you know there are certain things that you are passionate about but someone who isn't getting your same signal coverage give them a signal boost um well um thanks for coming on here and boosting our signal um <laughs> uh, i really mean it we, uh, even though it took us 10 years uh, we gotta have you back no um, question you're no a, question about uh, it. a font of knowledge um and fun to listen to uh, it takes a lot of the pressure off of us like sure, yeah. you can just say like be like here's a single topic go and yeah. we, we're good for 15 minutes um of course, you can find us at battleshippretension.com, as I uh, mentioned earlier, and that's where you can find all of the reviews and, and stuff that we, uh, that, we, that we write. I'm trying to think. This week, I've got a review of uh, Friend Request, the uh, uh, horror movie, the, the college... Uh, the, the, the Friend Request is coming from inside the account. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Facebook horror movie. Um, uh, is it better or worse than Chain Letter? Uh, I didn't see Chain Letter. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, that's my review. I'm trying to think what else. But anyway, it's BattleshipRetention.com. The most important thing there, of course, is the the premium uh, content, especially this new batch of eaten alive commentaries. It was mm-hmm. a really fun time. Uh, we think you'll enjoy listening to it. Uh, it's only ten bucks. Uh, you can email us David at BattleshipRetention.com or Tyler at BattleshipRetention.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Davy Pretension. Follow Tyler at Tyler Pretension. Uh, you have another podcast, Tyler. It's called More Than One Lesson. What's going on there right now? Uh, so. We, uh, there's been an odd trend lately in the last few months of doing episodes that are positively BPS-esque, I must say, um, in which we kind of pick a topic and and talk around it a little bit. And so the most recent episode, uh, this was pitched by, uh, my co-host Reed, uh, wanted to talk about, uh, preachy films. Uh, now obviously because more than one lesson is a Christian show, uh, we talk a little bit about Christian films, but we move away from that pretty quick. And we, you know, talk about any movie that leads with its message and the ones that do it well and the ones that specifically do not. Um, so I'm actually rather pleased with the episode. And so you can find that at uh, more than one lesson.com. All right. Um, I think that's it. Um, thank you again, Mark, for being here. Well, thank you fellas for having me. And, uh, you know, let's uh, not wait for another uh, social media platform to be invented before I come back. <laughs> that sounds like a deal. Thank you and home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.